tested it in terms of the four hour work week versus the other one, just to see what sort of response there would be uh, in terms of the ads and the, in the four hour work week as a name outperformed whatever the other one was. I mean, just it was exponentially better. Right. Yeah. So, so if you don't have your own um, uh, sounding board, your own, uh, you know, just whether it's an advisory board or, or, or someone you trust or a parent or a spouse or whoever it might be, um, you can always leverage the power of social and you can leverage the power of, uh, uh, you know, just like Facebook posts, Instagram posts, et cetera. And then of course, paid advertising as well to, to test it and see, and see if people respond. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome to this episode of Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Steve Olsher here with me today. He is a 30-plus year entrepreneur. Steve is the founder and editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine, original chairman and founder of Liquor.com, an online pioneer who launched an on CompuServe's electronic mail in 1993. So, very in tune with the digital age from day one. And uh, he is also a New York Times bestselling author of What Is Your What? Discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. Among other things, a real estate developer, creator of the New Media Summit, host of the number one rated podcast, Reinvention Radio, and Beyond Eight Figures, an international keynote speaker and an in-demand media guest who's appeared on many shows, but among them, CNN, Huffington Post, and the cover of Founder Magazine. Uh, I am excited to have you here, Steve. That is a large laundry list of accomplishments, man. I can't wait to dive in with you. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know what? I normally come out of the gate with something where I'm going to ask a question where I just something's in there, but there's so many things. What do you, what do you see in that laundry list that you kind of think of that is stands out for you? That was kind of an aha moment where you just kind of had a different view of the world after kind of going through it. Yeah, you know, man, it's it's interesting. The uh, the entrepreneurial trek, as uh, as you know, is full of a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys and uh, and so on. I mean, it really, I would say, probably goes right back to the very first uh, endeavor that I really took on. Um, I've been an entrepreneur for, as you said, thirty plus years, uh, and and really that first that first go. Uh, which you didn't even mention there on the bio because it would make the bio way too long and then we wouldn't have time to talk really to chat about anything. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but that first endeavor of opening up my own nightclub uh, when I was 19, I think really opened my eyes to what's possible if you just simply have a, a dream, if you have a vision, if you have 
the uh, ability to enroll people into what it is that, that you see and give folks the opportunity to get as excited about what it is that, that you're wanting to do uh, as, you know, as, as, as perhaps they are about helping to support the dream of, of someone else and just having a, a little piece of that, right? So um, it, I would say for me, that was, that was really eye-opening. Uh, in terms of someone else writing uh, a check and supporting your dream as opposed to investing in their own because most uh, uh, most investors won't ever invest in in their own dream because they will for a number of different reasons but you know from for the most part they're just not wired in that way to create in that way and so um, more than willing, more than happy, more than able to to write a check and be a part of someone else's dream, which um, which to me it was pretty uh, was it was pretty eye opening because I did not expect that uh, people would take their own money and invest it in you as opposed to invest it in themselves. You know, I, I I love the way you said that, and I'm sitting over here smiling if you're listening to this because I love the way you said that. Like, there's that piece where you're putting out what your vision is. And then there's a validation piece, right? But I don't care how many times you've done this. There's always that middle ground where you're like, you, you sell yourself, right? And then there's always that kind of middle ground where you're wondering, is this really going to work? Like, you, you, I think that's what stops a lot of the investors. It's not that they don't have the ideas. And I think it's actually a lot of things that stops a lot of people from becoming entrepreneurs is that I believe they have the ideas, but that fear in the middle of will your idea get validated I think you have to get over that. And that's where uh, I think that's what separates a lot of people is to take the, the step out without being able to see the ground underneath you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's risk tolerance, right? When you come right down to it. And, and it's interesting because, you know, the risk tolerance of an entrepreneur obviously is, is pretty extensive. I mean, they, they, put so much on the line. I mean, not only in terms of, of resources, but of course, in terms of their time and their energy, you know, I mean, there's, there's sunk costs in that. And, you know, time, time is a, the most precious commodity. I mean, you only have so much of it. You're not going to get, you're not going to get that back. It you know, once it's gone. So, but it is interesting because we just have as entrepreneurs versus investors, I think we just have different uh, tolerances in terms of risk and, and a, an investor is willing uh, and hopefully ready, willing and able to risk whatever that capital is that they're putting forth to invest. And the entrepreneur is, is willing to risk so much more than that. But at the same token, there, you know, there's still risk involved for, for all parties. Yeah. Um, it's just different levels of risk in different ways that that, that shows up. And so what do you think was kind of the riskiest one? Do you think it was a nightclub or um, was, was uh, you know, what, what gave you kind of uh, the, the butterflies in your stomach before you launched? Yeah. I mean, I would say that there's always butterflies regardless, right? I mean, there yeah. are always going to be concerns and will this work? Will this fly? You know, et cetera. Um, but I, I will say that as I get older, uh, I had thought that my tolerance for risk was was actually reducing and 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 diminishing in terms of just being um, smarter, so to speak, and and not putting as much at risk 
uh, as as I may have in in days past, right? Because when you're 19 and you open your own nightclub, it's like, you know, if things don't go to to plan, how far can you really fall? You know what I mean? Like you just don't have that much (laughs) at risk. It feels like it's the end of the world if it doesn't work out. But you know, how much do you how much do you really have to risk? Versus, I would say that, you know, as my appetite for risk, as I thought that it had diminished over the years to the tune of when I was doing real estate development uh, most recently, and we developed over $50 million in in properties over the years, um, I had gotten to the point where the only loans that I would take out uh, against a building would be a non-recourse loan, right? Where you have no liability, assuming you don't do anything fraudulent or something of that nature, but you'd have no liability if things don't go to fruition, you know, or whatever, don't come to fruition, it's simply the, the building goes back to the bank, right? Things don't work out, you give the building back to the bank, you know, click clap, you're done, move forward. Um, the, the biggest, the, the riskiest thing that, that I've done, I think, in my career actually is something that we're doing right now uh, in terms of we're, we're in the process of building a funeral home for my wife, who is uh, a licensed funeral director and embalmer, she's been in this business for uh, about a decade now, and uh, and so we we have literally put everything on the line in order to be able to open the funeral home uh, for her. And so, you know, full recourse, home is collateral, business accounts is collateral, like everything is collateral because it's an SBA loan, and of course, you know, they take. Oh, they yeah. take everything. And so, um, you know, this, I, I would actually think that, especially given my age, I mean, I'll be 51 next week. You know, reality is it, I've got a lot more to lose now than I've ever had. And, uh, and this is certainly the riskiest venture, if you will, just from a pure potential for loss standpoint uh, that, that I've ever taken on. Do you think you mitigate that with experience? Like, do you um, think the risk I tolerance think- is probably even if it's diminished, you've actually diminished the risk because of the, of the repetitions you've taken. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, I wonder, you know what I mean? Cause I, I don't know that the, the, the risk tolerance, I know we have more to lose. So it yeah. becomes more painful to, to put your life, you know, to put it on the line, but you know, it's, it's the swings and the bats and the chances you took as a 19 year old. I know at 24, I did the same thing. And I was like, if this goes bad, what are they going to do to me? You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I'll start over. I don't have, I didn't have a family at the time and those kind of things. And so I, I feel like, well, I guess I'll let you answer that because I want to, I want to, because I want, I want to kind of dive into that portion of, of the age thing on it. Yeah. So, so yes and no, right. I mean, we are our own worst enemies, <laughs> you know, it's like it, especially as you have any degree of success as an entrepreneur, um, then you seem to think you, you've got this magic formula. And, you know, reality is maybe you do. I mean, you, you, you've probably heard the old adages of, you know, you can take someone who has failed and they built a business and they failed and you can put them in an environment where, you know, they, they have to build up that uh, a new company, whatever it is, in, in a specified period of time. And because of their experience, they have the ability to do that. And that's why when you look at Wall Street and uh, venture capital, you'll see that people actually are willing to invest in entrepreneurs that haven't uh, necessarily always been super successful, where they've had, in, in some cases, catastrophic failures. Um, but they're still willing to, to stroke checks and, and support those new visions. 
Why is that? Well, because you know they have had some degree of success in, in taking something from zero to wherever they were able to take it. But at the same token, you know, I mean, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? Because you get so caught up in, in what you believe is the right way to do things that you potentially leave yourself at risk of not being able to, uh, to really learn from how things have adapted and, and moved forward and evolved since whatever that past success was that you had, right? So, so the answer is, I would like to think that the answer is yes, some of that risk is mitigated by what has transpired over the years. But at the same token, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a student of the martial arts, right? And, and, and I think participating in the martial arts gives you to some extent a false sense of security, right? In terms of how you can handle yourself and what would, what would go down in this, that, or the other. And, and, and the truth is um, that false sense of security actually can work to your detriment. So it, it's, it remains to be seen. Yeah, I um, and, I, and it kind of leads into the thought I was having there is that, um, you know, I, I went out on my own at 24. Uh, you mentioned 19. Um, when I originally started with Money Talkers, I was thinking that uh, it was going to be just personal finance, right? But I, I think that the ability to take the risks is easier at a younger age. And so I thought, and for me, I know that uh, entrepreneurship is the fastest path to wealth. So when you create, the, you, you own the most, um, I guess, ability to raise it, but it is the hardest path to wealth in my sure. mind, right? And so um, if I was, if I, if I hadn't done what I did as a young person, would I, and, and I got into a track for, you know, 15 years and had the capital to do something, would I have the risk ability to risk the things that I had spent 15 years to build? Or was it because I had nothing to lose that I had success? You know, and I, I would, I would caution anybody when you, you kind of mentioned earlier, like a lot of investors are, are totally fine with someone having failures. I would be more cautious of an investor who hasn't, I mean, as an entrepreneur who hasn't, who came to me with money because I would feel like they either caught a trend or I don't know if the, how they'll handle adversity because handling adversity to me is a number one trait and being resilient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, you can obviously make that argument. Um, and, and I, <laughs> I know that also to be true that uh, you have people who are multiple time winners as, as well as you have people who are multiple time losers. <laughs> you know? So who's, who's to say, I mean, there, there are plenty of entrepreneurs who you, who you kind of scratch your head and you look at and you go, wow, how, how can this person continue to raise money and continue to do things when, when their track record of success really is, is not that impressive. If, if in, in, in some cases, non-existent. Their ability to sell their vision would be my answer, right? Yeah. Because that's, yeah, that's what it really 100%. comes down to. Because if yeah. I can, if I can convince you as much as I'm convinced this is going to be a success, then my ability to do so gives you the security thinking that, wow, I'm really sold on this idea, yeah. you know? Because yeah. that's what I feel like we do a lot of times anyway. We chase, uh, which is a, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a curse and a blessing for for someone who has that in them. Because every idea you come up with, you can sell yourself on because it's your idea, right? And so you, yeah. hopefully, sometimes I think that's where a lot of the experience comes from. Is like is being humble enough to say, 
this is probably not a good idea. Like, even though I was super sold on it last week, like, I'm glad I let this one settle in or I talked yeah. to a few people who are, are you know, and, and I would tell you, like, out of the four companies that I've had, you know, some level degree of success, I had an operator type that was there that would let me soundboard off of them and then would kind of talk about the implementation and poke holes in it and, you know, those kind of things. And it, it was super beneficial um, yeah. in that because it was, they had the consistency and the, and the level headedness, but they didn't have a lot of the vision a lot of times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I know from, from my own experience, I mean, there have been plenty of times where I, I thought I had a, a really good idea and then just circling back on it, uh, you know, a year later or whatever, it's like, yeah, there was probably uh, probably a good thing that I didn't go down that path. So, so the question is then, how do you make those determinations, right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's that's where the the tricky part is. Is how do you how do you know the 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 good ideas from you know from from the bad ones and the ones that you shouldn't be pursuing? How do you put you on the well, spot? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, I mean, I I, I will say that oftentimes. Um, the, uh, the best person for me to run things, but I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly having people to turn to, right. Whether it's a, a parent or, or a spouse or, um, someone on your own team, uh, or someone, uh, maybe you have, um, you know, a, a network, like you're part of, uh, EO or you're part of, I don't know, Vistage or, you know, whatever those organizations are. Um, but it, just the outside perspective, uh, is really what what ends up being invaluable. So for me, I know a lot of the time, you know, the first person that I'll talk to uh, about things is uh, is of course my wife, right? And so she'll often say, "Hey, you know, that's 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 a really good idea, or that's not the best idea, or you know, maybe try that or don't try that." Um, but you know, that round one of just having somebody at home uh, can can be extremely beneficial for sure. Yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking through that, and I was thinking it's the inability of to, be, to sell your vision, right? So yeah. you you have the vision, and then when you go to talk to somebody that's a trusted advisor position, we'll call it that, right? And like, and for me, a lot of times that's my wife too, and I have a couple friends that I like to bounce things off of. And uh, if they don't, if I don't see the excitement that I have inside of it, one, it's kind of crushing, but two, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, it, it also gives me pause to say, well, maybe this is a great idea in my head and I would buy it, but if the market won't buy it, it doesn't matter how good of an idea it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's and almost like a little mini market test area that you get and then you go to the little bigger one after that. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are people who, who swear by doing things like taking out Google ads. Right. And just, um, I mean, that was the old Tim Ferriss story of the four hour work week. If you're familiar with that, I mean, when he was thinking about um, that book and what to and what to call it, he actually took out some Google ads um, and tested both names. I think he was—I forget what the original name was—but um, it wasn't the four-hour work week. And so, whatever it was, um, he tested it in terms of the four-hour work week versus the other one, just to see what sort of response there would be uh, in terms of the ads and the, in the four hour work week as a name outperformed, whatever the other one was, I mean, just it was exponentially better. Right. Yeah. So, so if you don't have your own um, uh, sounding board, your own, uh, you know, just 
whether it's an advisory board or, or, or someone you trust or a parent or a spouse or whoever it might be, um, you can always leverage the power of social and you can leverage the power of, uh, uh, you know, just like Facebook posts, Instagram posts, et cetera. And then of course, paid advertising as well to, to test it and see, and see if people respond. Yeah. And I, I think the, a lot of times, I think the experiential part of being an entrepreneur is having the humbleness to admit that it's a bad idea. Right. I think as a, as an, as an inexperienced entrepreneur and, and sometimes it works out, right? Like 24 year old me had a great, had a great idea and didn't listen to it. I, if you ask me now, I'd be like, that's probably not a good idea given your circumstance. Right. Mm. But again, it was like, okay, well, I have to succeed because if I don't, I'm going to lose every, I didn't have anything. So it didn't matter, yeah. but, <laughs> but it was, but in my mind, it was like, I'm going to lose everything. And so I got to yeah. do whatever it takes. And, you know, um, there's, there's also that part where you've got to be able to step out. And so I want to ask you a question though, because you wrote a book called, what is your, what discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. And that yeah. sounds like such an amazing topic to me, especially considering the money talkers audience being parents talking to their kids. And I've kind of joked about this in the past, but you know, the only question I got asked as a kid, well, I got told two things. One, I got, I got asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And I didn't even know like five jobs. I knew, you know, <laughs> everybody, yeah. doctor or lawyer, right. That's what everybody says, right. All the time. Um, and then the other thing was like, uh, you know, when I think about it, like, I don't think we talk enough in regards to, well, I got told you could be whatever you want to be, right? Which is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got those yeah. two things and like, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. You know, I was like, okay, cool. You know, like I don't, sure. I, yeah. I, I just go to college and then they tell me I figure somebody figures out a job career path for me and then I go do that, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I, I would think that around that, around what is your what, like, I think it's very applicable in the conversation you could have as a parent to kids in discovering a little bit more in that second layer, right? That second, that third layer. And I wonder if you could kind of talk about the concept of discovering the, the amazing thing, right? The one amazing thing. Well, so this is a book that I wrote <clears throat> largely because for, for me, it was the question that I've, that I've been struggling with, right, for mm -hmm. the majority of my adult life is people, you know, basically said, you know, hey, you have the ability, like we just talked about, you know, to do, to do anything, right? Okay, great. So, <clears throat> so, so what is that? And I took all the tests, you know, the Myers-Briggs and the what colors your parachutes and the strength finders, you know, and, and all of those. Um, and what, what ended up happening for me in, in this, you know, I, I wrote the book in 2013. Um, that's, that's when it actually hit the New York Times list. So, you know, I'm 51 this year. 2013 is just, you know, seven years ago, right? So this is not something where I was like going through my career and then bam, I figured it out really early on, like still struggling with, with being able to come up with those answers. And so, so for me, what I became really, really clear on is that there has to be an easier way, an easier framework to really be able to try to figure out how you're naturally wired to excel, how you can just have, you know, a particular gift within that you can, that you can leverage and, and share with the world and make money doing it. 
And so what, what I started doing in, in around 2009, 2010 or so, even before I wrote that book, was I started teaching some of the strategies that had worked well for me in, in business as, as a coach, as a, a seminar leader, so to speak, in the hopes of really being able to, able to help others avoid a lot of the trials and tribulations and so forth that I had endured over the course of my entrepreneurial career as I began teaching that course, which I was calling the reinvention workshop at the time, people started having very similar questions to what I was having around career and what should I do and how can I make money and where does all this stuff intersect, et cetera, et cetera. And the more that I began teaching that in terms of, you know, hey, if you want to have a business that is successful, you have to be able to answer these core questions first. The more it became really clear that the way to come to those answers is by having a clear understanding of, of what your core gift is. In other words, what's in your DNA and how you're naturally wired to excel. Understanding the primary vehicle that you will use to share that gift. And then having clarity on the people that you're most compelled to serve. And so it was really a combination of the gift, the vehicle, and the people that then made this this framework that we uh, eventually branded as the the what is your what framework and so that's all it really is and of course there's a process that we go through to being able to figure out those three pieces but the reality is you know man most people will go through life without ever having clarity on one of those pieces let alone all three and so at the end of the day, uh, if you can have clarity on your gift and your vehicle and, and your people, you can figure out where that intersection is of, of something that you really love to do, something that comes as naturally to you as breathing and something that you can certainly make good money doing. And so I created the framework, uh, not only, of course, for myself, but also for those then that I was teaching at that time. And that's how it morphed into and evolved into uh, the book that uh, you're now referring to. Yeah, I just think back, like, I still struggle with it, too. You know, I think that, that maybe that's part of the reason of being a serial entrepreneur is because yeah. I don't want to be one thing. And I, you know, I, it's like I get I, I don't like repetitiveness a lot of times. Yeah, right. And, um, but I also I know the value in, in, in focus and niche and and going after it. But I think back about being a kid, and not necessarily like a little kid, but like, you know, kind of that, like, you're getting ready to go out into the world uh, age, right? That 16, yeah. 17, 18, people are constantly asking you, what do you want to be? What are you going to go to school for? What are you going to do after school? Or, you know, what, what's your goal? Like, and you just, I feel like you're so lost, right? Yeah. At that time, because if you're lost as a, as a 35 year old, like, and you've been in and in, in had twice as, you know, two and a half times as much life experience. And, and, and I still felt lost, you know, and, at, at 41, I've had, you know, I, I still don't know yeah. what I want to be when I grow up, right? And so um, I think that that would be an, an enormous advantage to have a framework to kind of guide kids through the ability to at least identify some of the things that they can gravitate towards that gives them some clarity because there's a lot of lost years in there. Yeah. And, and just so that we're clear, what I also became, you know, very clear on in terms of the what is your what framework is that it is an evolutionary, it's an evolving organic process from the standpoint of when you figure out what your what is, so to speak, 
the, the, the best way to think about it is, and perhaps the title of the book should be, you know, what is your what for now, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, not, it's not set in stone in terms of this is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. But what, if you think about the, uh, the what is your what framework, the, the gift, which is, um, it's really in your DNA. It reflects how you're naturally wired to excel. Your, your gift really is static. I mean, it is something that will be with you throughout the course of your life. You could be an entertainer, you could be an enroller, you could be a, you know, a protector, you could be a, a communicator, right? I mean, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of different gifts that you could have. That gift will remain consistent throughout your life. But the, the vehicle that you use to share that gift and the people who you are most compelled to serve those are, are more fluid. Those are more organic. Those will change more over time. And so you don't have to feel like just because you do something now, this is something that you're going to be doing forever. So I just want to make sure that there's clarity around that as well. No, I love that because we have different seasons in our lives, right? And so I've read several books, like a couple of them come to mind, but like the seven habits, of high success with people, rich that poor did, like sure. I have read them several times in my life. And it's really weird what I get every time I reread a book, especially if it's been five, 10 years or whatever, I, the words have not changed inside of the book, but yeah. My, my perspective, my paradigm, the way I see it, the way I need it in my life now, the way I see the world now, what my life circumstances changes what I read. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a really yeah. fascinating kind of concept. It's the same book and that's kind of, but it's, it's, it's what the way that you're perceiving things at the time and, and you know who you want to serve can change, you know, their life events yeah. change things, you know, parents yeah. dying, kids being born, you know, marriage, divorce, like a lot of that stuff can change. Your yeah, good experiences sure. and your bad experiences, you know, and I yeah. think that I think that's a powerful piece. And I love the word, the fact that you use the word framework to get somewhere because instead of the problem I have a lot of times in like the disc things and those kind of things is like this is what you are. I'm like, <laughs> don't tell me what I am. I'm taking this test again and I'll re-answer all these questions and then you'll see what I am, right? Because yeah, that's what I really am. Different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, no, right. I'm the one that you can't put in the box. That's who I am. You want me to break your box? I'll do that, right? <laughs> At the bottom, it's like box breaker. I'm like, ah, <laughs> dang it. They exactly. know me. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tony Robbins. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, um, I, I, and I think that that's, I think it's a lot of fun and a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, uh, important pieces for young people to realize is that the, the box will get broken multiple times in your life and it's okay. You know, you don't have to yeah. be stuck, you know, and, and yourself, you, you know, you're a, you're a reinvention expert, right? And so I think, you know, you probably run around, you probably run across quite a bit of that in your, in your line of work now, right? Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and it's to be expected. And, and, you know, I mean, look, the reality is we, we all, we all need to, to go through those, those, well, as you said earlier, I mean, those seasons, you know, where you're really, going at it and you've got a purpose and you have something that, that just drives you out of bed every day. And then you have those seasons where you just need to, to relax, right. And kind of put it in neutral for, for a while um, so that you can rebuild your energy and you can, you know, really, really try to get much, much clearer 
uh, on on what it is that you want to be doing in that next in that next season in that next phase. And so, you know, the the God's honest truth is you you I think find a, a sense of relief in terms of knowing that I'm not going to be doing something for the rest of my life necessarily. And, you know, in terms of creating a business and, and that in and of itself can provide the energy that you need to do what you're doing now with, with all the, the, the gusto that you can muster because, you know, it is something that is uh, is a season and you might as well get the most out of that season that you possibly can, especially when you're, when you're younger, you know, I mean, just, give it everything that you have and, and try to, to build that into whatever it can possibly be. And I use the, 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 the framework around uh, um, another framework around the idea of a five-year window. Mm. And as, as we get older, the number of five-year windows that we have greatly diminishes, of course, right? And, and also diminishes from the standpoint of the amount of energy that you have right? Because the older that you get, the, your energy, I mean, for the most part, unless you're, you know, one of those freaks that, you know, gets more energy as they get older, which that does happen for some people. Um, but the reality is, you know, I figure it takes about five years to really, to, to really put something meaningful together and, and put something uh, together that has significant value in the world right? Whether it's a real estate project, or whether it's an entrepreneurial endeavor, or whether it's, you know, building an organization or building a nonprofit or whatever, you know, five years is a realistic time frame. doing it in a lot less than that is possible, but, you know, not, not very, not a real common occurrence. Um, and then a lot more than that means it probably just took you too long and you should have given up on it before, you know, you hit that sixth, seventh, eighth year. So, so if you just think about things in terms of five-year windows, it's another way to, to put into perspective what it is that you're going to be doing and really be, uh, just really be conscious of what you say yes to. Because typically when you say that, yes, you're saying yes to a five-year window. Mm. I think that's a great idea because you're, you, you've got to have enough commitment to make it work, which means you can't give it a six months and see how it goes type of thing, right? But also, yeah. I think that one of the things that terrifies people to even take a risk is thinking that I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. And that's, am I going to, yeah. and, and if I make a mistake on the rest of my life, that's terrifying, right? Yeah. And you just need to realize this isn't the rest of my life. This is just the next season. And this is how I'm going to be successful. And where does it need, where does five years need to be to be successful? And then back it out and say, okay, at the end of year one, I need to be to this position and then back that out into month one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twelve. And I think there's a lot of that will, I think a lot of that one greatly reduces the risk of whether I'm going to make it or not, but forces mm -hmm. you to be organized and strategic so that you greatly increase your opportunity to be successful. At least you give yeah. yourself some benchmarks, even if there's nothing good about your benchmarks and they're totally off base or wackadoo or whatever, at least you have thought about them. And if you're going to get to them, how am I going to get to them? I see a lot of entrepreneurs that don't take that approach and they just say, well, I'll throw it against a wall and hopefully it works. I've got three months worth of money. And it's yep. like, you know, yeah. And so, um, I want to leave with one last thing, um, before we hop off to do our high impact series. And so 
Um, when you see people in need to reinvent themselves, what do you see as probably the one glaring thing that they know it should be time to do that? Or in another aspect, if it's time to invent yourself for the first time, right? Because I imagine that's part of the reinvention is you have to let go of the things that you've had before, right? Yeah. But if you're, if you're thinking about this as a parent strategically and you're thinking, well, I want to help my kid go through the invention of themselves, right? Because uh, that's my idea behind Money Talkers is if we can put this stuff ahead of time, we don't have to go to the Dave Ramseys of the world. We don't have to go and come back and fix things at 35 years old that we, sh we should have known at 18, right? Yeah. And Maybe. so, well, yeah, but I mean, at least some <laughs> yeah. of it, right? At least a better, yeah. like we said, reduce the risk tolerance that I have to go through financial counseling at 35, as opposed to at least I had some of the information when I was 18 or 19, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you think about yeah. when you think about in that range, like how would you help someone think about their invention? Yeah, and and again, I think that we put too much pressure on on the process, right? Yeah, and I think that we sit here and we just try to you know put ourselves, as you said, into that box that uh, we have to be this by then, and we have to have this by then, and 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 we have to be you know this level of of person or entrepreneur or whatever it is. I, I mean you know, the, all of the, the pressures that we put on ourselves in terms of uh, just looking at it from an, an invention standpoint, uh, that's the beautiful thing about an invention. An invention in and of itself is it literally can be whatever is the result of all of the efforts that you, that you put forth in terms of typically what an invention is just by definition is it's the result of all of these sort of random efforts to create something without knowing what it is that you're actually going to create. And so I, I believe that you are, are doing yourself a disservice um, by putting pressure on yourself to figure out what it is that you actually want to become as opposed to just letting what you become be a reflection of, of action and the resulting uh, career, if you will, you know, that comes as a, as a byproduct of all those efforts will more times than not have zero reflection on what it is that you went into that whole, you know, process with. So just, just let the process be the process and dive in, take action, just do anything, literally do anything. I mean, go work at your local grocery store, go work at, you know, the gas station, go, uh, you know, volunteer, whatever it is, just immerse yourself in the world so that you can begin seeing what the world is like outside of your four walls. And that's where the process of discovery and actual creation really takes flight. I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say it wasn't the destination, it was the journey, right? That's kind of yeah. one of those splashy Instagram type of things. But, you know, looking back, like, you know, it, it, it wasn't always fun during the journey, but it was always, I always look back and thankful that I went through it. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, 100%. Well, that's awesome, man. Where, Steve, where do people find out more about what you're doing um, and, and uh, connect with you? Yeah. You know, we've, we've been talking a lot about the book, what is your what? Um, so maybe what I would suggest is folks start there. Uh, we do give away a, a copy of the entire New York Times bestseller, What Is Your What? Discover the One Amazing Thing You Were Born to Do at whatisyourwhat.com. Um, so I would just simply say, start there, whatisyourwhat.com, grab a copy of the book, and, uh, and then let's chat. 
Oh man, I, I love that. And I, I just, I'm thinking through my head, all the possibilities with the conversations you could have from a framework like that. Um, I, I, and I think it would be a relief from a parent because I know a lot of people like to say, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and like, they don't yeah. know how to do it either. So it's kind of a, I'm, I'm just thinking through that, that it's an awesome kind of at least conversation that, that, to have, to look at it from a different way angle. Right. And so absolutely. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on Money Talkers with me. I will, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for you to get to uh, whatisyourwhat.com. And, uh, and thanks again. Appreciate it, Steve. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids' financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a Money Talker.